attention to the Word of God this morning. Acts chapter 18. Do continue to remember Patton with the loss of his brother and Stephanie with the loss of her father in prayers. And we'll have more to come as far as funeral uh, for Pat's brother Mike um, with, within a few days. We'll have more to, more to come on that. Acts chapter 18 this morning. <clears throat> Verse number 1. We've completed, we completed through 17 when Paul was in Athens. But in chapter 18, verse 1, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a, suit, a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. For by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles." And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the, Corinthian, many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set thee to hurt. Excuse me. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you, and Lord, we ask your blessing now upon this time. Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would use me, Lord. I pray for your mercy, your grace, your help. Help me stay true to your word. I pray that you'd guide in this, that your spirit and your word would have that free course in hearts and meet the needs that are here. I pray your word would strengthen us and draw us closer to you. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing. Lord, that even this morning they repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please work, Lord. We pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we saw last week as Paul dealt with the intellectuals that were in Athens. What took place on Mars Hill and how God had just opened that door and brought him before the governing council of Athens itself. And all that had transpired there. <clears throat> And we saw what a great example we had in Paul and how we are to respond in a, in a very pagan culture. How he did handle the intellectuals of his day. But as we see in our text, Paul leaves, leaves Athens and heads to Corinth. Keep in mind, as I briefly mentioned last week, I'm going to focus a little bit more on this week. Paul, during the second missionary journey, this would be a very difficult time, a low point, if you will. We know this from several different indicators that I'll point out in just a few minutes. 
but he is weary, he is discouraged, and he is alone. I mean, think of all that's transpired so far on this second missionary journey. He heads out of Antioch, his home church. After reporting back, you had the dispute that took place in Jerusalem, so he leaves Antioch. They head out. He has the, the dispute, of course, with Barnabas. He leaves. He heads back through Galatia, uh, going along the same route from the first missionary journey, strengthening the brethren and the churches that he established then. He then continues on a direction he believed he should go, but the Holy Spirit kept, kept closing doors. And he finds himself taking, you know, all the way up near Troas at this time, not knowing which way to go, what's going on. And the Lord appears to him in a vision and lets him know he is to head into Europe. He's to head over into Macedonia, what we refer to as the Macedonian call. So Paul is obedient. By this time, he has picked up Timothy with him. That was when he was reporting back in Lystra. He was a young man who was growing in the faith greatly since the first missionary journey. Troas, he picks up another key man, a man by the name of Luke, who would now be accompanying him. They all head over into Europe. They get into Macedonia. They head into Philippi. And we realize there, while Paul is in, in Philippi, he is beaten severely. And he is thrown into prison. He is released. He heads down to Thessalonica. While he's in Thessalonica preaching there, a riot takes place and he is run out of town. From Thessalonica, he heads to Berea. He gets to Berea. He's preaching there. It's not too long that the Jews from Thessalonica head down to Berea. And he once again has to get out of town rapidly. And then he comes into Athens, and again, we just looked at last week what took place in Athens when he was dealing with the intellectuals and how they looked on him as a fool and scorned him. And now he's off to Corinth. Again, he is alone and he is discouraged. It is thought possibly by what we read when he wrote back to the Corinthians that he was also physically ill during this time. It is here that we are going to see that God moves in a great way to encourage him. And wow, I mean, it really is wow what the Lord does to encourage the Apostle Paul. We do well when we wait on the Lord during those discouraging times, during those difficult days when we wait on the Lord. We serve a God who knows right where you're at. He knows every single event that's taking place in your life. Not only does he know that, not only is he aware of where you are, he knows where you're going. He knows tomorrow. He knows the end from the beginning. Now, as we will see, as Paul stayed faithful and he didn't quit, he did not miss God's encouragement. So Paul heads to Corinth. Let's take just a couple of minutes to see what Paul was facing when he arrived in this city. A city in which Paul will establish a church. So first, I want to start off with, so we can see where Corinth is. Let me show the first slide up there, Josiah, please. I got just a couple of slides in the introduction this morning. I usually don't, but just a few. So let's see what, what's been going on here in, the second, in this second journey. It's really clear right now. I'm sure you can see where he was going. Oh, even clearer. Yes. (laughs) 
if you don't have it, that's fine. I can I can go on without it. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to point out it's in modern day Greece where Macedonia is, and it's it, there's an there's an important uh, um, where Corinth sent was very important. It's 50 miles from Athens. It was on this almost this little channel that was coming through there, and that's where Corinth sat. It was very strategic, and you would you could see that on the map on this isthmus that it sat. Um, it was this it was this peninsula was connected to the rest of what we call modern day Greece. Virtually all the traffic, I'm going to quote from one commentator now about Corinth. Virtually all traffic between northern and southern Greece had to pass through the city. Because Corinth was a trade center and host to all sorts of travelers, it had an unsettled population that was extremely debauched. It also housed the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. 1,000 temple priestess who were ritual prostitutes came each evening, seven days a week, into the city to practice their trade. It was considered the most wicked city of its day. As comparison in our nation, it would be the San Francisco, the New Orleans of its day, the Las Vegas. Corinth also held what was called the, the Ismithian Games, which were second only to the Olympics in popularity. It was a major sports town as well. Because of its important importance, and it was also became, as a trade route, sailors were everywhere abounding throughout the town of Corinth. The people of Corinth were characterized around the world as vile people. When the Greeks would put on a stage play, whenever a Corinthian was part of their play, somebody from that city, they were always portrayed as an immoral drunk. That's what they would use. It's how people viewed Corinth. There are several interesting things that I found about this city. There was a narrow land bridge, if you will. It was about six, six kilometers wide between Corinth and Athens. Uh, to the, to the south in this peninsula was uh, the route that the, that the trade boats would have to go through, or any boat for that matter, was incredibly treacherous water. There's a cape down there, which if you had the photo, you could see that cape coming up around, and they wanted to avoid that at all costs. It, it sank many ships. So what they'd actually do is they, they preferred traveling up to Corinth on their boats and literally dragging their boats across this isthmus by a trolley to get to the other side instead of, instead of daring to go through that cape in the rough waters. Nero actually started construction on a canal there to make it much easier to travel through. However, he never got it finished. Uh, he, of course, was, was taken out. And the canal he started, though, actually was not finished until 1893. Matter of fact, you can show that photo if you're ready. This is the actual finished canal that was started back in the first century. Um, right there, cutting through. And I had a photo also, Josiah have of the actual land place where they used to actually have the trolley to bring the, the, the boats and ships through so they did not have to traverse that cape. Thank you, Josiah. Now, go on to the last picture up there that I gave you. In the city of Corinth, there was a giant hill. This, that's that hill up there. On top of that hill, looks like a fortress, was actually the temple that I was referring to. That's where it sat. It was up top there. And uh, the four, it, this was referred to as Acropolis. It was, again, this was the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, who was really the goddess of sex. Aphrodite's temple, and uh, as I mentioned, a thousand priestess, their ministry, what they considered, was prostitution. So, as I said, every evening they would head down into the city of Corinth. 
One commentator said this. I liked his words. He said, where Paul went from Athens to Corinth. If Athens glorified the mind, uh, Corinth glorified the body. As we, what's interesting is Paul was not able to get a church established in Athens, but he was in Corinth. I think this pattern sort of holds true in our day. Many times the intellectuals refusing to see the light of the gospel while steeped in wickedness, uh, yet that intellectual just seems to blind them even more. While those who are steeped in immorality and all vile wickedness often turn to God in far greater numbers. You can almost tell that when we go knocking on doors as compared to neighborhoods that you're in. Reminds me of Proverbs 26, 12. See thou, uh, see thou a wise man, see thou man wise in his own conceits. There is more hope of a fool than for him. So Paul arrives in the city of Corinth. He is discouraged. We know uh, uh, what he was. We know that he was discouraged based on the writings coming back to them. Uh, you can think of the verse in First Corinthians chapter two. He says, talking about his arrival in Corinth, he said, I was with you in, much, in, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul needs encouraged. And that's exactly what the Lord is getting ready to do in his life. We're going to see what the Lord provides him by, in order to encourage him. One, I put it down as three Ps here this morning. He's going to encourage him with partners, with product, and with his presence. So let's go ahead and dive into this. It's very possible I will only get through the first point of this, just looking at the time. So this will probably end up being a two-part message. I did not plan for that. Um, but I, have a, I do have a lot to say with this message, so I'm sure it's going to end up being two parts. So Paul, as we see in verse 1, Paul departs Athens. He comes to Corinth, a 50-mile journey. He says, and he found a, a, a certain Jew named Aquila, born in... Uh, Pontius, lately come from Italy, his wife Priscilla, uh, 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 with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and, and, and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So the first thing we see the Lord doing here is Paul gets to Corinth in his sovereignty and in just incredible timing. He brings into Paul's life some new friends. Some new people who end up being partners in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Some people are going to encourage Paul right now as he comes into Athens. And if you think about it, it really is incredible. Paul meets this husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla. The husband and wife team were to become Paul's close friends through the rest of his ministry. We don't know exactly what we did, but we know from Romans chapter 16 that they risked their lives for the Apostle Paul in some event that had taken place. It's also interesting, pretty much the rest of the times they are mentioned in Scripture, uh, um, the wife's name is, pre is, is presented first and not the husband's. We're not sure exactly why that is the case. It is often thought that there is some type of social rank that she, must have, that she must have held. It's also, think about this too. Paul is heading into Europe with the gospel. But as we can see here, what is most likely the case is that Aquila and Priscilla are already saved. They've already placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And just, again, begin to think about that. The timing of this, the circumstances, is amazing when God brings them into Paul's life. They had to leave Rome. If you remember, we talked about this decree from Claudius 
um, several chapters back when we looked at it. That was Claudius, that there was this, we know from a historian, we got a little bit of what was taking place in Rome that led to Claudius, the emperor, saying, all Jews, get out of Rome. I'm done with you. And it appears, uh, the, the historian, I, I can't think of his name, um, it starts with an S. But anyhow, that historian wrote that there was a conflict among the Jews, and he gave this name like Christosius. It was one letter off from the word Christ. And so many believe that, and he had no familiarity with Christianity, this historian, or with Jewish customs or culture, that what was taking place was a dispute between the Jewish Christians who had converted and the Jews who were, just like we see taking place everywhere that, that the gospel is preached, and, and where there's a dispute where some Jews convert and believe that Christ is the Messiah, while the others refuse that, and all of a sudden problems arise. And that Claudius had enough of it, and so all of the Jews had to leave. So that's, that's an interesting point. So that's more than likely, because we know they came from Rome, where they heard about Christ. That's probably where they heard the gospel. And we know that was already there, because when Paul wrote uh, the letter to the Romans, he had not been there. By this time, there was a church established. Uh, their faith was known throughout the world, it says. It's also interesting to point out that in chapter 18, nowhere does it say that Aquila and Priscilla got saved. It's presumed they were. Matter of fact, we meet Crispus and the others who Paul will baptize. We see that 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but of course, uh, Aquila and Priscilla are not baptized. That's because they were already converts. So it's interesting. So think for a second what God does here in this wretched place. Paul is alone, and in just perfect timing when Paul would need it, he has two other Christians right there waiting for him. Not only, not only do they have the similarity in the faith in Christ, but they're of the same trade. They have so much in common. You can just imagine the fellowship that is taking place. And I have no doubt they heard of the Apostle Paul, so now they're meeting this man that's just been turning the world upside down. Incredible. It's amazing God's timing and His sovereignty, how He provides what we need. How He brought these two people in to a man that, who no doubt at this time was very lonely. But He wasn't done yet. Not only does He bring Aquila and Priscilla into life, as we read uh, uh, Timothy and Silas, they come back from Macedonia. Now keep in mind, they had actually met Paul in Athens, but that was very brief. Paul was waiting in Athens for them to arrive. And so what we put together, of course, with 1 Thessalonians and with the book of Philippians, when they arrived there, Paul, again, his burden for the churches, he turns around and sends them back. They had come down from Berea. Paul sends Timothy uh, to head to Thessalonica, and he sends Silas to head to Philippi. He wants to know how they're doing. And so they left. They, were, they, just, they just spent a very short time with Paul while he was in um, Athens, and that was it. But we do know that when they arrived, I mean, you can see when they arrived here, how much that would have been an encouragement to Paul. Now his co-workers are there. They're back together at this time. And not only that, they bring good news from a far country. I mean, here, Silas, when he went to Philippi, he's coming with an offering from that church. I mean, just out of their own free will. They said, listen, we want to be helped to him. We want to be helped to the ministry. So they, they showed with it from that, that, that church in Philippi that he got a start, that started, that started uh, um, with the salvation of Lydia to the jailer that, that got saved, his household, and that church was growing. And here they are coming back to Paul. And he was having to do some work. 
He was having to do his tent-making work to support himself, but with this offering coming, we're going to see that changes things. He's going to get busy really quick with all of this. And if you think about it, it's amazing at times, especially in times we need encouraged, or we are discouraged with difficulties in our life, of the people that God can bring into our life. Of the people that are there that maybe in many ways you never saw coming. One thing that came to mind as I was going over this text was uh, David with Jonathan. You can think when he was running and King Saul was trying to capture him and King Saul was trying to kill him. And the times that, especially that one time when Jonathan came to David and reminded him, you will be king. I mean, the encouragement at that time, how desperately David needed that. There are times that the Lord knows exactly who to put in your life. I think during the, a lot of the difficult days in, in P&G, when the Lord had a man there named Puse, who would be right there, it would always be such an encouragement. And we met him. He was the fella when we arrived in, when we, when we did our survey trip, would be the first time that I met him. He was already saved. He got led to the Lord by a, by a, 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 well, a friend. He was a family member of the small group of about 15 who were there. And Paul met him. And he got saved in the, in the capital city and came back to the island where he was from. And he led a small group to the Lord. That was this small group of people that were meeting. And it would be Puce, and the first time I met him was we just arrived for the survey trip. We, we just got there. We, we get off this little tiny plane. We're put into the back of a truck. We're sitting down on the back of a truck and on this horrible road. We drive about 30 minutes to this village called Sohon. And when we arrived there, I think this was a Thursday, day of the week, if I remember right. Those 15 people or so are sitting down in their little church house. There's no walls on it. You can see right through it. There's just a a shelter, a roof over it, and that's it. And they're sitting there. I still don't know what's even happening right now. Uh, This was organized by a national pastor from the capital city who knew the man who got saved and went back here. That's that's was the organizer of this. And so we get out of that truck. I mean, our bags are literally still with us. And they're sitting there. We walk in. As we stepped in, everybody stood up. They had chairs set aside. We sit down. They sat down. And then Puce, I didn't know his name yet, of course. He stands up and he goes up to the front. And he was the one who, who did this in broken English. He had it written out for himself and began to tell us the story of the people who were sitting in that room. Of the man who led them to the Lord, who had died a year earlier. And how they had met every Thursday that God would send a missionary. That man so many times would be such an encouragement to me when I was there at times that we would need it. I think even the day that I found out I was leaving P&G. I'm on the phone with Pastor Roach. We had just had that, that phone call that the Lord had worked in. Again, many of you know the story. I don't have time to get into it this morning. But many of you know the story how when I had, I had believed the Lord was leading us back from PNG, I had no idea what was going on back here at Independent Baptist Church. I had no plans and never planned to come back here to pastor the church at all. It, it did not occur to me until that day. But I knew the Lord was done, so I was calling Pastor Roach to get advice in believing the Lord was probably finished with us on the island. 
We had the two churches going at the time. And I had the unction really strong on my heart. I'd been praying about it for several months. And I just needed advice. And so I, had, I tried calling him. He wasn't there. Jerry had then sent an email just not even probably two hours after I tried calling him with no answer and said to call Pastor Roach. I had assumed he had just saw a missed call and that he was home now and that I could call him. So I called up once I saw the email and I went right into what was taking place with us. Uh, we had five different things taking place, circumstantial, that I believe the Lord was leading us uh, to leave New Guinea. I didn't know where, I know where, not another mission field somewhere else in, in the States. Wasn't sure uh, what yet. And then he was just quiet. He didn't hardly said a word. You know, he didn't say any words. Just completely quiet. And then after about five seconds, he said, do you know why I wanted you to call me? And I said, No. I said, really, I didn't know you wanted me to call you. I thought it was just because I tried to get a hold of you. He said, no, I didn't know you were trying to get a hold of me. This was the third week of January of 2014 is when this took place. And then he had told me, he had said the first Sunday in January, I think he said, I think it was a Sunday he said, that I met with the leadership of the church and told them that I'm going to retire. He was the founding pastor for those visitors. And I was his assistant pastor prior to going to New Guinea. And he had said, he said, they immediately brought you up to call you and to ask you to consider coming back to take the church. He said, I told them no. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that call with him on the mission field. The meeting left. He said, we met again one week later, second week of January now. And he said, once again, it was brought up again to do just that. At that time pastor had said this. He agreed. Now get this. He said, he said, but, and he told me something, he said, but Terry, he said, I told the Lord I'm going to give it one week and pray. He said, know what I've been praying? That the Lord, that you would tell me that the Lord's done with you in New Guinea. We both had what we needed in that moment. We knew it was a done deal right there. And that's when we determined at that time, I was flying back for one of my kids graduating college. I would fly back for the college graduation, actually fly up here for the church vote, and then uh, uh, go back to New Guinea, um, and then at a, at a, whenever the Lord gave clear direction, then I would come back at that time. We knew it would be one to three years. I needed one to three years, and the church here with things going on needed one to three years before I could return. And it was that following year, of course, the summer of 2015, that I did, in fact, return. Just amazing how God puts it. Now, I almost lost track where I got into that. Puce. Somebody must have needed to hear that. I don't know why I get off on track on that. When that phone call came, it was raining outside. I'm underneath, remember the houses are high, so I'm underneath the house and, I, and, and I'm talking with Pastor Roach. And of course, after that, we, we began discussing several things, realizing what had just taken place. And it's pouring rain. You, those of you who have been in again, you know when it rains there, it doesn't drizzle. It pours. Puke shows up at my house. He doesn't come in the gate. I have the gate there. I'm on the phone. I see his vehicle pull up. And he gets out. He had just found out what my favorite tree was. And so he went and got two of them. uh, um, Small ones of them. They're kind of big trees. And he's planting them in the pouring rain at each of the corners of it. And I just started crying right there. Because I knew the Lord was done with us. 
I can't think of how many times the Lord used that man to be an encouragement to me. To come down when things were difficult, and, and boy, if he knew it, boy, he would just come down. He would do whatever he could to try and encourage us. I believe the Lord had him there for us, knowing we would need that. I can think of the many different times that the Lord used many of you right here to be such an encouragement. Whether it's just through a few words that are spoken, whether it's through letters that were written, um, at how encouraging those words were. There's one that I got. It's still on my, it's still on my monitor right now during very difficult time. And, and I, I don't know that the person was aware of it at all. To my knowledge, not at all. And I'd come in one morning, and that note was on my desk. I still have it taped to the bottom of my monitor, because, boy, did I need that at that time. I'm sure many of you here can remember the times when we needed encouraged, when things were taking place, when the Lord put somebody right there in your path. I mean, there's different stories here that I can think of that come to my mind. I, I can think of some of those relationships even ended up in marriage from a message coming across with two people who would be very discouraged with different events in their life. Listen, the Lord knows right where you're at. Please just think of his sovereignty with what takes place in Acts chapter 18. Paul is the one bringing the gospel in. You see, how the gospel gets to Rome? Well, more than we have to tie that back in Acts chapter 2 is, is the... Is the we don't have any direct reference to it besides Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Because there were Jews from, that were from Rome that converted on the day of Pentecost. So it's very likely it was their testimony and witness that led to that church getting started in Rome. But apart from that, Paul is the one bringing the gospel into Europe. And here he comes, and he comes across two Christians. Of the exact same trade. Who provide him lodging right when he would need it. Two people that would be connected to him for the rest of his ministry. Two people that he himself would use time and again in the ministry and in the work. The Lord knows exactly where you're at. And think about this. Notice what it says here. I'm going to finish with this this morning. I want you to cover this verse. I love this portion of this text. It says, of course, he also brings back Silas and Timothy. That would have been an encouragement. But notice, after all this takes place, notice the wording in verse 5. Paul was pressed in his spirit. This changes things for the life of Paul. You can see the encouragement coming in. The phrase, pressed in his spirit, has this idea. It speaks to his mind. It speaks to his heart. It speaks now to what he's going about. is going to go about with passion. He does, because of the offering that is received, contextually we see here that more than likely, he's not even doing the tent making right now. He's going to concentrate on the ministry. So now all of a sudden what he was doing is no longer out of duty, it's out of passion. There are times when we do serve the Lord out of duty during those discouraged times. You, the answer isn't to quit. It isn't. You wait on the Lord. Now none of us, and I don't think that's ever right, those who just are serving purely out of duty, and that's an extended time, something's wrong. The Lord desires us to serve Him because we love Him. And when the Lord knows we're going through difficult times in the sinful flesh, and we are just being faithful out of duty, those times happen. There's times you are discouraged, and it's just, it's just okay. It happens. All right? I have to do this. 
I'm not going to disobey the Lord. I'm going to do this because it's right. But you know, in your heart, all of a sudden, the passion's sort of gone. Listen, just stay close to the Lord. Don't quit. He knows who to bring in your life, or as we're going to see, we get into next week, even in different ways that he's going to provide encouragement. I believe the encouragement of Aquila and Priscilla was did an enormous amount for Paul, that he had been good to go, but the Lord wasn't nearly done yet. He was going to continue the encouragement. And here's Paul, after he has that, now he's pressed in his spirit. Passion is back. He sees what the Lord is doing. And think of this, Paul was selfless in this. I mean, his selflessness in ministry is remarkable. Think when when Timothy and Silas came to Athens, he could have just said, the Lord knows I need you right now. I just need you to stay with me. We'll just trust the Lord with Thessalonica and Philippi. But in Paul's mind, as you can see about his concern for those converts, when he left, are they all right? What's happening in the city of Thessalonica right now? How are they enduring the persecution? Are they holding out? Are they holding strong? What's going on with Philippi? Did the magistrates, are they leaving the church alone? Do I need to come back up there and, and make known what was done to me as a Roman citizen? And so as they come and meet him from Berea, he turns right around and says, Listen, fellas, I've got concern." I believe this is of the Lord. Silas, go back to Thessalonica. Or go go to Philippi. Timothy, you head to Thessalonica. Let me know what's going on. And then Paul's there. He meets Aquila and Priscilla. And then he hears from Silas and Timothy. The churches are doing well. Some some minor things that Paul's going to have to deal with, but that was it. What an encouragement. Remember this. The Lord knows right where you are. He knows what people to put into your life. Trust Him. Don't quit. Stay faithful. Next week, we're going to get into this. We're going to see this product. What I mean by that is the fruit. And how this fruit comes about in the ministry of Paul is just incredible. And then we're going to see the promise of God's presence. As he tells him in verse 10 in a direct vision, Paul, I am with thee. I'm right here. I'm right here with heads bowed and eyes closed.